0: So, welcome to the next episode of Coastal Catchups. ups This episode, I am doing it by myself. Uh, I maybe mentioned in the last episode that I would try and get some people while I'm on my travels to interview, but it, to be honest, is just too much too much faff. Uh, so, I thought instead of pestering people um, to ask them questions, I thought I'd just give you my insight to what I've observed um, during my travels and hopefully I uh, can give you enough information that it's entertaining and gives you a flavour of some of the features and issues I've came across. Um, so in this episode I am covering a couple of places I visited in Australia um, and in general it's going to cover um, one of the largest sand islands in the world. Then I'm going to chat about some of the behaviours of humpback whales. Um, and how intelligent they are and what they get up to. And then lastly uh, we're going to chat about what colour should coral reefs be. Um, and one of the interesting sites on the Great Barrier Reef. So I uh, hope that piques your interest. If you want to keep updated on... The episodes make sure you subscribe to the coastal catch-up email newsletter um, and yeah i hope you enjoy the episode it's all about Marie and the coastal sea aquatic life and everything in the tree so sit on there and take a seat so, first site I'm going to talk about is called Gary. Now, um, when I've heard other people say that it sounds really good in an Australian accent, it sounds like I'm just saying uh, Gary as in the name Gary. But and it is probably more well known as Fraser Island, but... Uh, Gary is a traditional name, and um, given by the traditional landowners of the island, and um, and that's the uh, Bichella people. So, when I'm talking about Gary, I'm talking about Fraser Island, but um, it was officially renamed the the Gary um, this year. So, the Gary is the one of the largest sand islands in the world. It's over a hundred kilometers long. Um, and it's a designated world heritage heritage site, so it's an important site. Um, the name actually means uh, of a beautiful white spirit. and when I'm talking about the formation and the landscape here, you'll probably uh, get why it's called that um, and it comes from the silica sand, which is located on this, on this island and it's bleached white. and um, The silica sands give all the sand this really beautiful white appearance. Um, so you can see that on the beaches and on the sand dunes as well. Um, Fraser Island, that name came from a guy who got shipwrecked on the island in the 1800s and decided to name the island after himself, which is what they did back then. Um, but yeah, but I'll refer to this Gary here, the traditional name. So the island is over 100 kilometres uh, long. Um, as I mentioned, it's a World Heritage Site. It is formed by the deposition of sand over millions of years on, there's a couple of volcanic um, outcrops around the area. And it, the when the water was flowing around it, those outcrops helped reduce the velocity in the water and allow the sand to be deposited. And over millions of years, it's built up this um, sand island, as well as interactions with wave currents and wind. Um, the sand is sourced from the southeast, uh, which they've been able to. I think that's they've determined that's where the white silica sand comes from. So that's where it's flowed from, um, and this is even we're going back when we're talking millions of years when Australia was still connected to Antarctica. So the formation is a complex one, something I can't des- describe in not too much detail right now, um, but yeah, so that's roughly where it's um, formed from. And nowadays it's created a range of different habitats, including rainforest and dune lakes. The dune systems on the island are very active. So they are U-shaped dunes and they travel across the island um, depending on the wind strength, um, moisture on the sand and how quickly plants grow. Um, and if plants can grow, they basically stabilize the ground. So bees are migrating across the island. So the island in itself is quite active. Um, obviously the sand in where vegetation is built up is a lot more stabilized so uh, there's probably not as much movement in there but um other dunes on the on the coast you can actually see where the dunes have like blown out so they kind of wind has pushed it and it, it just pushes the, la- the sand inland um, and that stuff will keep migrating until it's uh, stabilized i think the highest dune is over 240 metres tall um, so it just shows you how tall these things can get um, the island itself is popular for camping uh, they have around I think just under half a million visitors each year on average um, so you, you can imagine the pressure it puts Um, the management authorities on the island to uh, manage the amount of visitors so I, I read somewhere about before they had like actual um proper sanitation facilities, so I think people were using the dunes as toilets and uh basically it was creating like a toxic waste on the dunes because um there was no fresh flow of water, so all the stuff was just building up in the dunes, which is pretty gross but um these are sorts of things uh the management had to think about when. You invite all these visitors or get all the visitors on these islands like how do you manage uh, human waste and all that stuff so that's all sorted now if you go on the island there's um well, i think it's like a septic tank operation the other thing is when you have all these people visiting you have to get around in a four by four uh, you can't take your little uh smart car around uh, it has to be um a well equipped jeep because all the roads are busy sand and you can see when you're driving about the island the erosion eat the roads of cause so you if you look they're kind of like formed little uh canyons, many road canyons um and if you look, you can see just the layers of sand on the side where it's just slowly like eroded over the years from driving um but i don't I don't think from what I've gathered that doesn't cause a problem um' there's, a lot of roads have vegetation beside them so it's quite stable there's no like collapsing but uh, maybe there is but uh, i didn't see any uh, the other issue we came across when we visited the island is um litter from container ships I, it's a very busy shipping channel between uh brisbane to the north which probably go to indonesia north australia um a couple of asian countries so um there's a lot of ships go past and um, if a container goes overboard or uh, our tour guide actually said there's just waste or litter just blatantly dumped offshore and it ends up um, in on the shores of Gary um, I don't know how you can it's hard to pinpoint where the waste comes from but I'm sure I'll take his word from it um, it's causing an issue anyway and um, so that was one of the issues on the shores and then in terms of swimming on the island um, the biggest risk is actually rip currents um which you'd think when you go to australia you always think sharks are the biggest risk of people but um you can see when you drive down the beach how turbulent the water is so all this water's being pummeled onto the beach and it needs to escape again and it creates these rip currents um and they just fire back out so uh there's not in fact, there's no one swimming. Um, when we went down the beach, uh, a couple of people in paddling, um, a couple of fishermen up to their hips, um, but really, there's no one swimming there, surfing. Like I mentioned before, there's silica sand, which makes um some of the inshore lakes really beautiful, really blue water, um, and the 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 beaches are just. And pure white um, it also causes a problem since the particles are so small if they get into your phone um, they can cause uh, problems um, the rock on the island I said uh, there's volcanic outcrops that kind of help the sand despos- deposition but I think they're well buried now the only exposed rock is uh, the sand and organic matter decomposed vegetation is combined together and it's called coffee rock um so i suppose it's not it's not volcanic but it is a form of uh, sedimentary rock and um, so you can see that um exposed in some of the beaches on the island um, and then the last thing on um, well sorry not the last thing but in the history of the island there was a lot of timber production so the wood um cut on the island includes pine blackbutt. Uh, black butt, Hollywood satiny trees which I've never heard of but they were attractive to um, loggers and I think the native people were kicked off the islands and it gave these guys a clear rain and cutting trees down Um, I think the wood actually was uh, really useful it was quite resistant to salt water um, and it's still standing in structures today and I think it was mentioned there's like a wharf or something in London um, that contains some of these this wood, um, and it's still standing today. So, just shows you how uh, valuable that wood was. But uh, all the logging operations have stopped now, um, and the trees are, are free to grow and do their own thing now. And you can go and visit them, and they're flipping massive. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see. Um, it's the rainforests are just left to do their own thing now, um, and then when visiting the island. <laughs> the tour guide always said the most dangerous thing in terms of animals is a, is a two-legged male Australian full of alcohol um, there was a couple of dingoes floating about and you're told to just avoid them, not approach them do not feed them um, and I think there was a case of a kid being taken by one um, on the island a couple of years ago and I think there was a, a lot of repercussion in terms of a lot of dingoes were killed after that And um, it's I think what the rangers were saying that there's a lot of problems with tourists taking photos with them, trying to get close, attract them to get a really good shot, um, and I think ultimately people just need to wind their neck in and just let the animals, um, don't encourage them, just let them be, um, and yeah, be sensible around them. Don't leave food out or anything like that, um, and they are wild animals. So like, if you have young children, just keep an eye on them. So that's a a brief overview of things I saw in Gary Island. The next thing I'm going to talk about is humpback whales. We visited a place called Harvey Bay, um, located on the east coast of Australia. And it's quite a, it's located actually near uh, Gary um, or Fraser Island. And the, the waters are known for whales, humpback whales um, resting, and particularly mums and their calves. So humpback whales, if you're not too familiar with them, they grow up to 15 metres and up to 40 tonnes, so they're huge animals um, and they are, in this case they migrate uh, up to 10,000 kilometre round trips. Now the reason they do migrate is because they hang out in the Antarctic where there's lots of krill, tiny little beasties in the water which they feed on. but. The problem is they can't give birth to their calves in that cold water because they wouldn't survive um without the necessary blubber to keep them warm. So what they do is migrate north um and in this case up the east coast of Australia towards the reefs um in the warmer water, then they um mate and give birth and then they come back. Um but on their way back they call into this place um called Harvey Bay and I think it's been concluded that they come in for a rest and some recreation um i, I read that some and i think the tour guide said this as well some wheels come in and stay all year or they stay there they come up to Harvey bay and stay there if they don't go any further north and um, i don't know how um i don't know much more about that but basically it's a good spot to view on back wheels um here you can see them communicating with their wheels and vessels as well through fin slaps, tail slaps and um, breaching as well. Um, so they put on a really good display um, and you can see the calves trying to copy their mum as well, um, breaching and doing mini breaches and stuff so it's quite cute. Um, and the calves are feeding from the mullers. Now when they come up north the mullers don't have much, um, since there's not not, not much food. Uh, the mullers are relying on their blubber um or their own internal reserves to, to feed the calves, um so they're pretty tired but you can still see them doing some activity every now and again, um and yeah that'll keep keep them going until they get uh, south again to the um colder waters where they can uh, stock up and plankton again and krill. So. They also, interestingly, have developed techniques, super smart animals, The when krill is not that uh, condensed in the water so it's quite spread out and if they open their m- mouths they don't get that much in, they use a technique called bubble netting to condense the krill into uh, a smaller area and then they can uh, basically gather up more krill at once and uh, they lick it off those uh bullying plates on their uh on their mo mouth, the mouths you can see um and they can eat up to uh twenty five hundred kilograms in each day which is pretty impressive. Um I know I eat a lot but that is a serious amount. Um the calves stay by the mullers for up to a year um, and then they're on their own way. Um, so it was really nice to see their See part of her life cycle, um, in Harvey Bay, and the uh, mums and calves just resting together and um hanging out. When you're viewing wheels it's very important you do it with a, a approved uh, um tour operator. I would say all the tour operator operators in that area work very closely together. So I'd say if you were to do, it, I'd, I'd say there's no shady operators in that area, um, because they'd be found out very quickly, but they adhere to rules such as and um, you can't approach wheels from the front you have to stay uh beyond a certain distance i think it's about 100 meters and um, the side of them so you're not in their path of travel if there's more than i think it was three vessels and um, they have to stay a further distance of 300 meters away so um, you're not crowding the whales. and then um if it's a case of if the wheel approaches you you turn off the engine you don't um just observe it so you let them um like like i've said about seals and strength for luck you just let them control the encounter and if you are um lucky enough to be on a tour boat and that uh, when that happens uh you you can count yourself very lucky um because i have heard about whales when they um the mum wheel lets a calf go up and explore the the tour operator operator vessel um so they're not actually too worried about their calf uh, getting hurt so it just shows you how switched on they are and kind of know what yeah the boats there aren't that um there to do any harm. Um when we we're on the tour there's a couple of marine biologists on the boat um and citizen scientists so basically what they do is they take photos of the flukes of the whale which are um the tail of the whale um, and each tail has a distinct marking or um, um colouring on it. So, what they do is basically take a photo of the tail and then upload it to an online database, where um, artificial intelligence will work out whether this whale has been sighted before, uh, and it basically tracks um whales. And um, so it's a pretty, it's a nice way. Um, you obviously have to be into your photography, but it's an it was pretty cool to see that people were um getting involved in citizen science that way and um yeah (laughs) one of the operators was saying like he has loads of photos he has he has yet to go through and upload so um i can imagine if you get carried away with taking photos and not keeping on top of them you can end up with a pile of a lot of photos but um yeah it's a it's a cool way and choose how technology can help um conservation and track um these cool animals um there's also um you can hear whale song on the tours, so they use a hydrophone as well, they learn that over their lifetime and then um, you can hear them um, when they pop the hydrophone in the water, which is also pretty cool. Um, Harvey Bay is very proud of their whales, so I, each year they um do an annual Harvey Bay Whale Festival um, and they do a paddle out for whales, so um, yeah, it means a lot to the community and obviously the tourism brings in a lot of um, income to the community as well. So it's a nice way to celebrate um the importance of the wheels um and what it provides to the community. Um and in return the tour operators operate in a responsible way and let the and ultimately look are um, promoting the conservation of the wheels by educating people and that's citizen science stuff I was talking about as well. So a nice relationship there. The last site um, I'm going to talk about is uh, Lady Elliot Island, which is on the southern end of the Great Barrier Reef. Um, the island is actually made up of coral shells. Um, so if you actually go on the beaches, it's the island itself is old coral. Um, and I'll just tell you briefly a bit about coral. So coral are, they are shells. So they contain um, tiny polyps and algae. Um, and the polyps are... They secrete calcium carbonate, which form a skeleton, um, and then there are the bits you'd find on the beach. So when it's in the water, it's a symbiotic relationship between the algae and the polyps. So the algae algae photosynthesizes, but um, basically move in to the skeleton, um, and they photosynthesize, create em- energy, and then the two basically rely on each other coral spawning takes place in november and december after a full moon which sounds quite um spooky um it's something i haven't witnessed or i don't know too much about but it sounds pretty cool so if i ever um hear more about that i'll give you more detail on that or if you're listening and you know more about coral spawning events um, that would be pretty cool um so please get in touch um so yeah it's like i was saying the algae gives the coral its color um and the most people uh they they think coral is very colorful but it's mostly green and brown and that's a sign of a healthy coral reef so um yeah you get some cool colors but mostly it is that green and brown so um yeah it's very much like we get a lot of green and browns around our waters um and they're still beautiful in their own right so um i also saw uh paddy uk which is uh scuba diving organization they were talking about um uh, people are giving them stick about scuba diving around the uk because it's all green and brown but in reality it's green and brown in around the entire world you are just probably fallen uh filed a, some unique photography skills and picking up some cool colors and um, which you do get um but um green and brown all the way <laughs> in summary um light also refracts differently throughout the water column so deeper water makes coral look less colorful so if you get <laughs> some of the coral could be a couple of meters underwater some i can't remember what order the colors um basically get refracted and you can't see them as well and um, but that's why some photographers deep uh, for scuba diving they need flashlights and stuff The um to, to bring out the colours in the coral as well this site we visited it is a form of ecotourism and it basically they well they are business at the end of the day they're so they're there to make money but they're doing it in a way that teaches people about um the coral reefs and the wildlife on the island um which is a in my mind a very sustainable way to do it um because people need to make money but um we need to do it in a sustainable way. And I think by teaching them about it. And getting them involved in education activities. And um, ways they can get involved. I think it's um, I think it's the way to go. Um, the island is also a bird sanctuary. For the common nauti. Um, and white cap knotty, Which is a type of seabird. And when you go on the island. They're nesting everywhere. And that also means there's bird shit everywhere. But um, it's pretty mad. Because they I, I don't know if they they must be used to humans because they're they, they not bothered by you um. it's kind of they just look at you and just give you an odd and if you don't bother them they'll not bother you Um. there's also other species such as terns and egrets as well um. the egrets you can see on low water and um, uh, walking about the reef looking for fish caught in the rock pools and stuff so um, it's cool to see so as a result of that there's loads of bird watchers on the island um and again another form of ecotourism and by people just wanting to come and watch the wildlife so like i said the island is made from old coral uh, which you'll see in all the paths and along the shores and one of the cool memories i'll take is seeing a reef shark and moving really really fast i didn't appreciate how fast they moved and hunting fish in the shallow waters and so i think there's three of them Um, and they were the uh, yeah, there's a shoal of fish being chased, so it was really cool to see. There's also green turtles, um which is listed as a endangered species. And these guys aren't actually sexually mature until 30, 40 years of age, which um just shows you almost how vulnerable they are as well, if, if that's um slow rate of reproduction. Um so it was really cool to see a green turtle. Um and along the the reef as well there's loads of sea cucumbers which i think look like black turds but that doesn't give them enough credit because they play an important role in the ecosystem eating plankton and dead organic matter which is um vital for the ecosystem um so yeah um along the reef there's no take rules so you're not allowed to take any coral no animals um, and and well if you do australian customs will get you anyway but um yeah it's it, the idea is just to preserve the reef make sure tourists are aware that it. it should be left as it is um, and even when you're snorkeling and stuff you're reminded to avoid damaging a reef with your uh, uh your fins um, and yeah to avoid drifting over shallow areas which well you get cut in the coral but also damage the coral so um, it's just making people aware of them not to damage it and um, as it's very fragile and then uh, they also use designated access points and um, when you're entering the coral and um, reefs so you're not um, uh, you're not walking over any um, coral and damaging it and um, the other thing is um, the island was they have a really big revegetation program as well on the island and um, which also benefits the seabirds and um, that breed on the island uh, but the island has a historic use for guano mining, so basically mining bird shit, um, and that twenty thousand tons of that was um, mined in the nineteenth century, um, and this, um, guano was used as fertilizer. But so if you, you imagine you take out away from the island, um, the vegetation suffers. So that's why, um, the island was left mostly barren, um, and then I can't remember the guy who, I think he bought the island, um. But yeah, he basically introduced this revegetation programme to get it back to what it was what it was like before. And then you bring back the vegetation, the birds come back, they shit everywhere and basically the cycle works again and it fertilises the ground. And um eventually you can just let nature um do its thing. Um as well as obviously bar the areas where the infrastructure for the the accommodation and the stuff and um, the island is mostly back to the way it was. So pretty cool to see so that's three areas i've visited in australia and in particular along the east coast Um, and it's quite nice to um go back over my notes from the areas and what i um observed and thought Uh, yeah so that's all for this episode um just looking through my notes if there's anything else i forgot but i think that's everything um If you're still with me, thank you very much for listening. Um maybe I've inspired you to go to Australia um and have a look yourself. But if not, hopefully my notes are the next best thing. And um yeah, I'll try and um gonna try and get another episode out in the next two weeks as well, um on a completely different area. Um and yeah, so if any of the things in this episode have sparked your interest i'd love to hear from you let me know if you have any questions anything you think i'm wrong about anything you think i'm right about let me know and and that'll i think that'll do so i'll see you in the next episode and thank you very much for listening to this episode of coastal (laughs) catch-ups